God's Word, the Gospel of John, chapter 17. John 17. And this is uh, Jesus' so-called high priestly prayer, which he um, offered up as they were going toward the Garden of Gethsemane on the night he was betrayed. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I'm glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. In the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So far, the word of God. Let's respond to that word by singing together Psalm 43, stanzas 1, 3, and 5. Congregation, I preach to you the word of God as we confess that in Lord's Day 47 of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 47, page 561 in the Book of Praise.
and this concerns the Lord's Prayer. What is the first petition? Hallowed be your name. That is, grant us first of all that we may rightly know you and sanctify, glorify, and praise you in all your works in which shine forth your almighty power, wisdom, goodness, righteousness, mercy, and truth. Grant us also that we may so direct our whole life, our thoughts, words, and actions, that your name is not blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. So far, our confession. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, and boys and girls who belong to the Lord. In Lord's Day 45, the first Lord's Day about prayer, we confess that we can ask God for all things we need for body and soul. And then the question can come up, what should be the first thing we ask for? What do we need most of all? What's our greatest need? And I suspect if you asked around, what's the first and foremost thing we should ask God for in prayer? You'd get a number of different needs at the top of the list. Health, for instance. Happiness, maybe, number one. Others might even suggest prosperity, one of the biggest needs. Peace. However, when the Lord Jesus Christ taught the Lord's Prayer, he didn't put any of those things at the top of the list. No, the first thing he taught us to pray for in the Lord's Prayer is that God's name be hallowed. In other words, that God's words and works, that God who he is and what he does, that that be praised by us, exalted as holy by us. The Lord Jesus put that first in his prayer because he wants the best for his people. And what's most important for your life is that it has meaning and purpose. You can have have good health, you can have prosperity, a lot of things. But if your life doesn't have the right goal, purpose... All those other things really don't mean a whole lot anymore. And see, when God makes his covenant with us, as we're going to hear with the baptism this afternoon, he actually gives us that purpose and goal in life. He he promises life and salvation in his son, and that's signified and sealed by baptism. And then we're called to love him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and all our strength. So the the goal and purpose of life is in that God is served. God is made great by us in everything in our lives, in both health and sickness, prosperity and adversity. God is praised. Think of the first thing that the Lord Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer when he was about to enter into his most intense suffering. He said, he prayed right at the beginning of John 17, Father, glorify your name in everything that's going to happen to me now. 
And that's what he taught us to ask for in the first place in the Lord's Prayer too, that we glorify God's name always and in everything. And with that in mind, I preach to you the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. And we see that Christ teaches us to ask our Heavenly Father that we, first of all, live in faith in him. Secondly, live according to his word. And thirdly, live to his glory. First of all, Christ teaches us to ask the Father that we may live in faith in him. The first petition, hallowed be your name, might seem more like a polite wish than a real request. Something like, may your name be hallowed, Father. But there's no need for a a polite wish like that. God will make sure that his name is hallowed and glorified. In the book of Kings, we're told how the giant Goliath profaned God's name. And for the sake of his name, God let that young shepherd David fell him with one stone from his sling. And the whole Philistine army was routed. Oh, God will make sure that his name is glorified on the earth. There's no need for us to ask him to do that for himself. But what we do have to ask for is that we be not be like Goliath and profane God's name. Otherwise, we'll end up like Goliath. And that's the danger. That's our greatest need brought to the fore in the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, that we give God's name due honor and praise. And as we mentioned, that's the purpose of our life here. That's what man was created for in the beginning. Man wasn't created for himself, for his own sake. God created man for his sake, to glorify him. That was man's purpose and task on earth from the beginning. God said, fill the earth and subdue it to the glory of the almighty and holy God. Have dominion over it and glorify me in it. But after the fall, things changed. As you know, man wanted to live for himself. He wanted to choose good and evil for himself and live for himself. And God's glory was pushed aside as the real purpose of his life. And the result was that man began to live for himself. To seek his own honor and advantage instead of God's honor and advantage. And the results of that are pretty obvious in the world today, aren't they? But God, in his mercy, revealed his name, made it known in this fallen and darkened world after the fall. In the senselessness of man's existence after the fall, God came and made known the gospel of his salvation in Jesus Christ. And so there is a way of liberation from that vanity of life, that senselessness of life. People could again, from the beginning already, when God came with his word, people could again find the sense and goal of their lives. It's because of the promise of a savior that God again made his name known on earth. And when Jesus Christ came, he fully made the Father's name known on earth again. By his cross, he connected us with God again. Through faith in him, 
we can again begin to fulfill the purpose of our lives, which is to bring God glory and thanks for his wondrous works through faith in Christ and his cross we have purpose here again our joy as well as our sorrow has has meaning again our health as well as of our as well as our sickness have a purpose strength as well as weakness has a goal everything is for the praise and glory of God's name. And it's so that in every place, in every circumstance, the name of God is magnified by us. And see, that's, that's what we ask for in the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. In other words, grant, Father, that not our own interests take over our life so that we just live for ourselves here, but that the glory of your name becomes our ultimate reason for living and for doing what we do, for saying what we say, for thinking what we think. And if you think about that, we need to pray that, don't we? We desperately need to pray that because it's, we live in this world and it's so easy for us to forget our real purpose in life is that we live here for God. Because of our sinful nature, we have a hard time keeping our, our lives focused on the service of God and the glory of God. It's so easy for us to become absorbed in this life to the extent that we also just live for ourselves. The world in which we live, the culture by which we're surrounded and which speaks to us every day in the media does not exist and work for the glory of God's name. No, people are encouraged instead to live for themselves, for humanistic causes, for their own happiness, as if that's the all and the end. And secular society today wants to keep religion out of politics and art and culture, which all become very man-centered then in their purpose. Living in a secular society like this such as we live in today, makes it very hard to keep our hearts and minds focused on the real purpose of why we're here, where we're going, what we're doing here. We easily become so absorbed by our own or humanity's well-being here and now that we forget that God gives us all we have and everything we experience so that we can offer glory to his name. Young people, for instance, what is your life center around? Maybe you know all the latest music, the songs, the singers, and what goes on in their lives. Maybe you know the, late, the, the newest details about your favorite sports teams or sports stars. Or you keep track of certain movies and things like that. All those things are just going to pass away. They, they, they're passing things. While the name of the Lord, your covenant God, endures forever. What do you really know about God and about what he's doing? Are you so full of him and what he did for you? that you want to sing about him. 
that you know some of the songs from the book of praise about him and that you hum that to yourself too. That you promote him, promote his church to the people you interact with. Oh, brothers and sisters, we all have to admit we fall short in knowing our almighty and gracious God and living for his glory. He made everything. He upholds it all every day. He gives us every breath we breathe. He has shown us his power, wisdom, goodness, righteousness, mercy, and truth in his word. And in particular, on the cross of Jesus Christ, as we remembered here this morning with the Lord's Supper, we, we, would, we should be just bursting with the desire to know him and then to sanctify, glorify, and praise his name as we confess that in Lord's Day 47. When it comes down to it. Is that the case? Sanctify his name. That means treat it with great reverence. And glorify. That means to boast of him before others. You want others to know how great he is. How good it is to have him as your God. And then the third word mentioned by the catechism comes into view. Praise him. If you're full of the knowledge about and of, the, of faith in God's name, you will, you will want to praise him with your mouth. Even with psalms in the night, like the writer of Psalms 42 and 43 spoke about. He was hounded by his enemies. He was in a pretty tight spot. They mocked his trust in God. And yet he sings, I will praise his name again and laud my helper and my God. See, those kind of things are too, still too lacking in our lives yet as Christians, right? We have a hard time keeping that in, in our lives. We're so inclined to be too involved with our own advantage and pleasure and well-being and health and so on to pay attention to the glory of our God and Father in heaven. But that's why our Savior gave himself for us and he obtained for us the life-giving spirit. And he taught us to pray, Hallowed be your name, Father, so fill us with faith, with awe, with wonder for you and for all your works that we don't even want to seek our lives in, in this world, in ourselves alone and in the things of this world alone, but that we seek our lives in you and in the glory and praise of your name, even when your hand lies heavy on us, chastises us. We come to the second part of the sermon. In the first petition, the Lord Jesus Christ also teaches us to ask our Father that we learn to live according to his word. And it's clear by now, I'm sure, that in order to live for our God and to praise and glorify him, we need to know him. That's expressed in this first petition too, as we confess that in Lord's Day 47, the catechism paraphrases it this way grant us first of all that we may rightly know you how can we live for God sanctify glorify and praise him if we don't know him rightly nowadays there are people who say that all religions present knowledge of of the creator of God Islam Buddhism what have you ultimately they all worship the same supreme being 
And there are Christians who reason that way about different churches. Every church has some knowledge of God, but none of them has the true knowledge. So it basically comes down to worshiping God wherever you feel good, wherever you're made to feel good. And sadly, then you actually end up worshiping God as you want him to be. And ultimately, then, if you're looking only for a church where you look good, you're you're worshiping yourself. God wants to be known rightly, rightly known, and then worshipped according to his word. Where the gospel is central, that's, that's where you come to know God rightly and where you can praise him rightly. So church is important. Don't let anyone take that away from you. But even as a member of Christ's church, it's sometimes hard for, for Christians to come to the right knowledge of God. It's so easy for you to think, well, God is so forgiving so I can do this sin again and he'll forgive me again. That's all, that's all fine and dandy. No. Then you're making God weak, permissive. And you don't see him rightly. Who would praise a God like that? But the opposite is also possible that you see him as an angry and wrathful God all the time. And then, you're, then you don't live in love for him, but in fear of him. And then you don't want to praise him either. You see, it's so easy to develop in your mind a homemade image of God. And then you're basing it on your reasoning instead of on the Bible. Then you, you think God, you feel God is like this or like that. And then you don't really know God rightly. And you can't serve and glorify him then either. You need right knowledge of God for that. And that's so important, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that we come to the right knowledge of God. And that comes, of course, from Holy Scripture. You need to know your Bible. And then you realize your, your Bible reading and study and devotion should be a matter of, well, do it when I have time for it. If I don't, well, too bad. If that's the attitude... Eventually, you won't have any time for reading the Bible at all, and you'll get a funny idea about God, and you won't give him the praise that he deserves from you, has a right to from you. You never have time. Sure, there's always other things to do around the house, landscaping and so on, work relationships, keep you pretty occupied. But you need to know your, your, your Bible. And then knowing God isn't just a matter of knowing with the head. Knowing him with head and heart. And lack of devotions shows lack of devotion to him who gave himself up for you. See, and our, our Savior, he lived here among us. He knows our weaknesses so well. It's of utmost importance for our salvation that we continue to grow in knowing God. And that's why Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer, John 17, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In other words, that they know you rightly. And a true child of God is never going to be satisfied with just a stagnant knowledge 
of God from his word are basic. No, if you love him with your heart, with your whole heart, you will want to grow in your knowledge of your God and, and of Jesus Christ, your Savior. You want to know your God and your Savior more and more from contact with the gospel, the preaching of the gospel in church and the opening of the word at home and in Bible study. And then you'll also want to, then you'll come to glorify and praise him more and more too in all his works. Because then you know him rightly. And notice it says in Lord's Day 47, praise him in all his works. All his works. That all has emphasis. And that means praise God not only when you see his glory and majesty and nature and in the beauty of nature and so on. Or his mercy and deliverance. But that you also see his hand in the things that are not so nice. And in the difficult things that you have to deal with. Is your life a song of praise to God in hard time too? When you get the diagnosis. Like Job who lost everything he owned as well as his children in one day. All in one day. And still he was able to say. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Still praise God. After all that happened on that day. And he couldn't have done that without prayer. Congregation, it's not easy to say, blessed be the name of the Lord if you end up losing your job or losing a child or finding out you have cancer or you're dealing with sexual abuse. And all of the effects of that. There's so many questions in. But those hard things are also then openings to give God the glory. To him still belongs the glory. Also then. Extra special then even. And we can give that glory in suffering. We can come to that in our struggles. If we all also know God from his word. And Jesus Christ, whom he sent and glorified him even on the cross. If we know that, then we can do that. We can come to that blessing of our gracious God and accept his wisdom and righteousness and justice and mercy in all his works, even in suffering. Come to the last part of the sermon. In the first petition, Christ teaches us to ask the Father in heaven that we may live to his glory. So we've already said a fair bit about the need to live to the glory of God. And I want to elaborate here a bit on our need to live our whole life, every area of our life to God's glory. God the Father, you see, isn't glorified by Sunday Christians. With people who talk piously and sing along in church on Sundays or on certain special occasions, but who are indistinguishable in walk and talk from unbelievers during the week who are secular in their lives during the week. He wants the songs of praise we sing here today also to echo in your heart and from your lips during the week. The praise of God should include our whole lives, our thoughts to begin with. If we think the same way the world does, then God's name is blasphemed because of us and how easy we do that, right? 
think like the world without taking God and his power and promises into account. Then we make plans, for instance, without mentioning God's name, without thinking the Lord willing in our minds. And then we plan as if everything is in our hands instead of the Father's hands. Our Father in heaven knows our thoughts, and to a certain extent we can't keep them hidden from our neighbors and co-workers either. They come to know how we think about the issues of every day and how we talk about, about them. Do we glorify God in our way of thinking? Do we remember to add sometimes, I'll do this or that, God willing? You don't have to overdo it, but just that they know that that is in the top of your mind, at the top of your mind. And that's why our words are mentioned in Lord's Day 47 too. Other people listen carefully, more carefully than we often think. They listen to what we say about life, about God, about church, about our hopes, our fears. And then they hear our wrong words too, our criticism, our complaining, our cynicism. Do, do all our words. Bring forth praise and thanks to God. Does, does that issue from us as people, as Christians? And last but not least, we confess Lord's Day 47, the need to honor and praise in, in God in all our works too, in our works, our deeds. If our deeds go against what God wants us to do in his word, his name is blasphemed. And how we need the sanctifying work of Christ's spirit then. Our deeds fall short of the glory of God all too often, don't they? Does God's glory show in this? Have I been honest in my business? Have I, have I shown that I'm a Christian business person or worker or neighbor? Our neighbors and fellow workers notice these things and our children do too. They see what we do on Sundays. Also during the week at work or at home. They're with us almost always and they, they, they see if we live according to our confession. And if we don't, God is blasphemed, it says. Then, then people, even our children, will say, look, they're no different than unbelievers. They do the same things. God doesn't make much of a difference in their lives. And God is more grieved by that than if unbelievers commit sin. He bought us with the precious blood of his son, as we, we hope to see in baptism, the baptism of little shame. And God, therefore, has a right to expect from, from us that we now live for him, too, with our whole lives. He gives himself to us. He has a right to expect that we give ourselves to him. Expects us to, with our whole lives, do things in our daily life with him in mind. And congregation, that should be our desire too, right? If we've shared in Christ as signified and sealed at the Lord's Supper. That's what the sacraments are for, to strengthen us in that desire to serve and glorify our gracious God and Savior with our whole lives by showing us signifying and sealing to us that we belong to him. 
and that he has done all that he has done for us. And congregation, brothers and sisters, boys and girls too, we fall so short in that, don't we? And then it's no wonder that the Lord Jesus puts that at the top as our greatest need. That the greatest need for us to pray for is this. Jesus gave his blood to forgive us in our shortcomings in this. And he obtained for us a life-giving spirit so that we might be nourished more and more to live a God-glorifying life. And that's why he said too, when you pray, begin what you ask for with this petition. Hallowed be your name. By his blood, he purchased for us the right to pray this petition to God. And to expect God to answer it, to help us. Let's make use of that petition then too. Amen. Let's sing in response to the proclamation. Hymn 63, stanzas 1 and 2.